Live from Toronto, it's Hebsey on Sports, episode 269. Hi there, sports fans. Mark Hepsher here in the Little Italy studio. And as always, Toronto Mike Manning the Mothership. Toronto Mike Manning the Mothership in New Toronto on a very, very busy day. Wow. Have we got enough we got enough time to get everything in on today's show before before the afternoon movie starts or before your next podcast? Number 992? Something like that? Get in there. Mike's getting up to a thousand. Mike, Mike is now the Mike is now the Keith Yandel of podcasters, if that means anything to you at all. Here's what we've got on today's show. Canada's men's soccer team is that much closer to scanning their ticket to Qatar for the World Cup after humbling Honduras, and Hondurans for that matter. Evander Kane signs with the Oilers, which makes me dislike the Oilers even more. I didn't think that was possible. Holy jeez. And he's got a beef with O-Dog. He wishes O-Dog were still playing in the NHL after what O-Dog said about him and his daughter. Oh, my God. Wow. Fabulous stuff. Them's fighting words, folks. We'll get into that. The NFL playoffs down to the final four. But I'm sorry, man. I'm still stinging over Buffalo's loss and the stupid overtime format and the coach that didn't know how to squib kick. What the fuck? <laughs> As well, we've got the Raptors, the Maple Leafs, the Australian Open Tennis, we got golf, ladies and men's. We got the Baseball Hall of Fame, and we've got special guests. Have we got special guests? Bruce Dobigan, the controversial one, who was, uh, I guess he was exiled to Calgary about uh, two decades ago from Toronto. He just stirred up a lot of shit. He's great. Bruce is coming on along with his uh, son and co-author of the book. Wait a minute, I got the book here. Inexact Science, nice. which is a story of some unbelievable draft years where you looked at the draft like years later and you go, how the fuck did they pick that guy? Why didn't they pick that guy? And that's the beauty of the draft. And anyway, it's a really cool book. We'll get into that as well. Uh, first, though, let's say hi officially to Toronto Mike at the Mothership in New Toronto. Hebsey, were your ears burning yesterday? More, yeah, more how'd so you know? <laughs> uh, the uh, honorary mayor of Hamilton was telling me, his name is Tom Wilson, you know him, but he was telling me how much he loved watching Sportsline with uh, Hebsey and Taddy and how much he would love to one day be a guest on this very program. But he doesn't know anything about sports, though, Tom. Oh, no. I guess like, not. He is like, like Tom's the, like, the <laughs> ultimate. If you <laughs> folks don't know, Tom Wilson is Lee Harvey Osmond, Blackie and the Rodeo Kings, and before that, Junk House. Junk House. A voice that, you know, is 15 registers lower than any voice you've ever heard. Right. Uh, and uh, like a real, like one of the most interesting people really that you'll ever meet. And art, there's artists, right? There's art, like for example, there's musical artists or there's visual artists or great writers or whatever, different types of art. Tom has like, he, Tom's great at all these forms of art. Right. There you go. That's the new album, right? That's, uh, well, it's not new anymore, but yeah, from 2018. Well, you know what I mean. Though. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, Tom's a great guy, and like Tom's like the mayor of Hamilton, like the unofficial mayor. Like you can no, go anywhere right. in Hamilton. You he can go anywhere in Hamilton, Ancaster, Dundas, and and see Tom. And like mainly, he would like, hey, how you doing? He can't hang like, with he, us. He he would cross the street. Tom's the kind of a guy. Seriously, he'd come across. He he'd go across the street to you. You don't have to run across the street. He'd come across to you. Hey, how's it going? Like, or just he's just one of the guys. Anyway, okay, well, you know what? He doesn't we'll know get sports. We'll no, get well, he's got to he's got to learn something about sports. Okay, he's but there's another gentleman. Opinion. On sports. Another gentleman who's a big fan of yours and does know sports. He loves his basketball. He knows track and field. Donovan Bailey wants to come on Hebsey on Sports. Donovan Bailey. How do I know that name? <laughs> Bailey. Bailey. Is he any relation to George Bailey from It's a Wonderful Life? Man, Every I love Donovan. Do you, know that Donovan do you know that Donovan's brother, O'Neal, yeah. yeah. played basketball against Lennox Lewis in high school? Wow. They played, <laughs> just like, can you imagine? I didn't know that. Can you imagine? So anyway, yeah, Donovan's great. He's a good storyteller, too. All right, we'll get Donovan on. We'll get Tom Wilson on. We're booked through, like, through March, man. <laughs> like, everybody wants to get on the show. Of course. Um, where the hell was I before? Oh, yeah. The Northern Pikes. Yes. One hit, right? Well, No. Well, well, it depends on what radio station yeah. you're in. Teenland and uh, Teenland's a great song. Girl right. with Two a hits. problem. Yeah, she ain't big heavy. much she music. Ain't pretty. She just uh, yeah, right. but Girl with a problem was a big much music hit. Too. Girl with a problem was a that was much much. Okay, anyway, <laughs> as the Northern Pikes used to say, she ain't pretty. She just looks that way. Woo. Kind kind of sums up the Canada Honduras match last night. Right, like Canada won two nil. Yeah, to move that much closer to a spot in the World Cup this November, but but it was a. 
It was a sloppy performance. I mean, you look at the score, you go, hey, we beat them 2-0, right? Look, look at that. But no, no. Uh, we should have beat them 5-0, 6-0. It was sloppy. The field was sloppy. The play was sloppy. Canada never really, they didn't need to against Honduras because Honduras is a terrible team. And, and their fans had already checked out. Like, they're not going to, they're not going to advance to the World Cup. So the fans are like, fuck it, right? Coño. So the fans weren't part of And this whole buildup was, they're going to throw bags of urine on the Canadian players. They're going to be singing and dancing all night so that the Canadian players can't sleep. And all this bullshit about, do you remember 1985? No. <laughs> Dude, I was working in the sports business. <laughs> I have no recollection of what the fuck happened in 1985. And it wasn't even to this at this um, um, late stage of the qualifying. This was like, and they went into Honduras and they got waxed eight to one. But the whole narrative was, well, you know, when you go to these Latin American countries, you take your life into your hands. It's like the fucking Hanson brothers are going to uh, Syracuse for a big game. And, you know, like, you know, and they got extra security. Come on, man. Different story. Now, having said that, if the Hondurans were like in the mix and had a chance and there was a, you know, if they win this game that they've got a chance, you know, maybe to go to the world cup, maybe a different story, but it was at half capacity. There were no bags of urine being thrown that I could see. All right. One guy threw, I think dog shit, but I'm not sure what it was. And like, eh, they weren't a factor. So Canada ended up winning a game, a match. It's great that they won it, but I don't know, man, if they play like that against the United States, they're going to get their asses kicked in Hamilton on Sunday. Mike, what do you think? Well, that second goal. Okay. Yeah. So the first was an own. Oh, goal. Gorgeous. Gorgeous. Yeah. First was an own goal. They just, yeah. you know, whack, you know, <laughs> sent it toward, you know, across it hit somebody and went in his own net. <laughs> so, so two thought one is that I watched every minute of this match. Cause as far as I'm concerned, this is Canada's team. Now, like this is the must watch Canadian sports experience of the of the moment is these uh, men's Canadian uh, soccer matches. Well, sure, until the Olympics come along, yeah, of course. Right. Well, amazing. Yeah. Well, not of course. There's still people like you think you think Freddie P, our guest last week, was watching that soccer match. No, I don't. I think, think so. he was. I don't think so. I <laughs> think he might have been. I think he might. I don't know if he was wearing his T-shirt, you know, his Canada shirt, because <laughs> there's various in. levels here of um, enjoyment and and to follow it. I mean, there's some people that could wake up in the middle of the night and tell you exactly what Canada needs to do right. to clinch. Right. Right. Goal differential. If sure. this happens, if Mexico ends up winning and Canada draws with the United States, we're still on top. And the only thing, the only way that we could not make it is if Panama runs off five wins in a row. I mean, all this shit, right? These right. are the ones who are deep into it. That's great. But but the number of people that are getting into it, that are right. asking me, for example, um, well, what does Canada have to do to get to the World Cup? And uh, um, that's in November, right? That's I can make arrangements. That I could fly to Qatar, you mean, and <laughs> yeah. be a Canadian? Like, you could be a Johnny come lately or Janie come lately sure. to this whole thing. It's like, well, uh, it's not the Olympics. No, no, this is qualifying for the World Cup. Oh, it's just qualifying? Yes, but we've never been in the World Cup, not since 1986. So it's a big deal. Oh, 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 it is. So just getting to the World Cup, we're excited. Yeah. So even if we don't score a goal or win a game in the World Cup, we're happy to be there. Uh, well, yeah. That's kind of the way it is. Right. Like we're just thrilled to be in the World Cup. Thrilled just to be there. Well, we'd like to score a goal in the World Cup, well, something we've never we done would. before. Well, that's right. That's my point. It's like, <laughs> are we happy just to be there? Or are we going to, you know, cause a stir? Yeah, let's stir some shit are up. Are we going to like, you know, if we're that good to make it to the World Cup and we get a draw, where, I don't know, we get Cyprus in the opening round or in the group. I don't know. <laughs> so I'm with you. Or do she... we go to the group of death in the World Cup? Oh. <laughs> right? uh, don't forget. Is it, is it like Canada, Germany, <laughs> Brazil, Brazil, and, uh, and right. England? <laughs> right. Okay. Another, great, anyway. uh, another great jam, though, by that band is The Things I Do for Money. Remember, that was all over the radio, too. Uh, Northern for money. I'll never, never understand. Hey, listen. My apologies <laughs> to the Northern Pikes. I was just picking out Because Jay Semko's an FOTM, so I I need to stand up for this guy. You're you're six levels deeper to the Northern Pikes than I. My apologies for even mentioning. I was just grabbing, you know, just grabbing (laughs) lyrics. She ain't pretty. She just looks that way. It looked good. We win. Still on top of the group. Five wins, four draws, zero losses. We got 19 points. Wednesday, next Wednesday, we're at El Salvador. And, uh, of course, Sunday, we're playing in Hamilton in front of 12,000 at Tim Hortons Field. The game's at 3 o'clock, but... That's when the NFL playoffs start. Right. And I'm thinking, like, wouldn't they be smart to start it at, like, 1? You start at 1 o'clock, 
Is there that much overlap? Is there that much overlap? I feel like a soccer fanatic is going to say goodbye NFL. I got my. Oh no, soccer fanatic wouldn't even think of the NFL. But I know, I know people that had no idea. I'm, I'm not just soccer fanatics. Right. I know people that are so into basketball. If you were to say to them, "How about those NFL games?" They would have said, "What NFL games? I'm I'm watching basketball." (laughs) Soccer fans. No, I'm saying you're right. Soccer (laughs) fans, and, and in this particular case, we don't have skin in the game. If Buffalo was involved. Right. And the Bills are playing, you know, for the AFC championship while Canada is playing U.S. in a qualifier, you know, and we're already in first. I I think I'm watching the Bills. I'm sorry. I'm watching the Bills because it's not imperative that we beat the Americans on Sunday. We can draw with the Americans on Sunday. Anyway. And why the hell aren't the Bills playing in the conference final? What the hell? yeah, we'll get to that in a second. Let me finish up with this game last night, this match. First of all, they're saying that they, they grew the grass really long on the pitch in uh, in um, Honduras because, you know, they wanted to slow the Canadians down. Man, I'm telling you, I've seen, I've seen a polo pitch with shorter grass. I mean, those divots that they were taking out, those are huge freaking divots. Like, those are Tiger Woods size. You know, I'm hitting a 60-degree wedge huge chunks of uh, of turf that were coming up there. And that's why I think one of the reasons why the game was sloppy, that the ball was just not bouncing. I mean, that was, I mean, I've, I've, I haven't played much soccer, but I got to believe if you're used to a, a reasonable type of turf. Right. And also there's these huge tufts of grass that are growing out that are slowing the ball down, making for really sloppy passing and stuff like that. But, but after that first goal that you mentioned, after that, uh, that own goal, the save by Milan. Yep. Big save, Borjan. Mm-hmm. I'm going to call him Big Save Borjan. <laughs> this, folks, there's world-class goalkeeping, right? And there's some of the shit that you see in this qualifying stuff, whatever. And then there's world-class goalkeeping. This Borjan is a world-class keeper. I'm going to tell you that right now. And if he remains on the, the Canadian national team, we got a chance to go places just because of the goaltending. Spectacular save at, at 1-0 to keep it that way, like he reaches as far as he could and then further with maybe the longest middle finger of any goaltender in the history of soccer, I think. And gloves, kind of like the, not like the oven mitts, but gloves that I'm sure are three, four inches longer than his actual fingers are. Because like it grazed it. I mean, it was unbelievable. Unbelievable. Fantastic. A Honduran header that was like destined for the back of the net. Norma save. And now we make that save. And then two minutes later, Great long pass to Jonathan David. Uh, and, and man, not only does he control it off the head, but then two like gorgeous, beautiful touches that would have made Connor McDavid proud. Like that kind of a ba 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 and controlling it. Jonathan David, Connor McDavid. Who's slick? <laughs> a beauty. Controls it with his head and then two touches and then and then pops it over the head of the onrushing goalie into the yawning cage. And like as he hits the ball, you don't have a perspective as a viewer. And nor did um, Gareth Wheeler, because he's not at the game. He's calling it off a monitor. We're kind of going, is that ball going in? Like, I need, like, you see it in the air. You see the net, but you don't have the, you know, the right depth perception to tell. Right. And he doesn't know either. He's he's like, because it could could go wide. It could go over top of the net. You're not sure for a split second. there. And uh, and so his call is like, Jonathan David! because the ball is going into the net it was beautiful i loved it fantastic we win and now the u.s on sunday capacity twelve thousand. Uh, by the way the americans beat el salvador one nil yesterday so they're a point behind canada mexico came back to be 10 man jamaica mm. 10 man okay ten. first of all they get a guy kicked out and then they score they're 10 man and they're up 1-0, okay? And then Mexico went, wait a minute, blah, 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 let's get going here. And then a goal in the 81st and the 83rd minutes uh, overcame a one nothing disadvantage. Mexicans, two points behind Canada. So Mexico hosts Costa Rica on Sunday. So a tie by Canada. And I think Canada could draw with the U.S. I'd be okay with that. Seriously, I'm okay. I, we need the points. Let's draw. If we draw with the U.S., if we beat them, great. Mm-hmm. We cannot lose to the U.S., though. We cannot lose to the U.S., all right. There's absolutely no way can we lose that game. So let's say we draw with the U.S. and Mexico beats Costa Rica. We still lead uh, on goal differential unless the Mexicans score like six. So we're good. We look good. Good. We're going to the World, we're going to the World Cup. We can't say anything yet. We can't <laughs> Don't say, say that yet. out loud. We can't say anything yet. It's like 
We're it would be there. like back in the day, Edwin Moses leading by 20 hurdles coming down the stretch. <laughs> but there's still one hurdle to go or two to go. And just, you know, That's a great he's reference. He's done it a million times. But he's, he, right? It's natural. It's like walking, but you just never know. You never yeah. know. We're, we're, we're 13 seconds away from greatness. You got it. All right. So this weekend, you got the NFL playoffs. There's four teams left. Couldn't give a shit. As much as I want to get up for I mean, I will, I guess, before game time. But right now, I'm still hurting. It still hurts. It's, it's 50 years. It's more of being a Bills fan. It's all coming down to, oh, my God, what else can happen? What else can go wrong? Got the best quarterback in the game but he doesn't get the ball. What's the deal there? That's like a baseball game where you score a run on the top of the 10th and sorry, there's no bottom of the 10th. They win. You know, but wait, we, no, 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 no. They scored in the top of the 10th and that's it. No, no, it's wrong. There's no way. And, and prior to that, there were three fantastic dramatic games <laughs> last weekend. We, I mean, I'm not forgetting it like people are because other stuff's happened. And now let's do a preview. Let's get your selections now. Mike, who do you like in the San Francisco Rams? What do you think? Can Cincinnati beat uh, Kansas City? I don't care right now. Okay. I'm still bothered by what happened. Still bothered by that game. All right. And by the way, I'll take the Chiefs and I'll lay seven against Cincy. Okay. Uh, and I'll take the uh, Rams because they're going to be the home team in the Super Bowl if they make it. I had said earlier this year it was going to be the Rams in Buffalo with the Super Bowl. I don't know if you remember that, but I went around here. What? So I'm going for the Rams there, and they're going to beat the three-and-a-half-point spread against San Fran. But let's get into this Bills game because the overtime rule has to be changed to protect the integrity of the game, if nothing else. If you were an alien that landed on this planet, you went, oh, tell me about football. Oh, here's what happens. You play for 60 minutes. It's fabulous. The last two minutes are crazy. Nuts. The game's tied. Right? Okay, great. So to make it fair, you toss a coin. And the team that wins the coin toss, if they score a touchdown, the game is over. And you go, what the fuck? Give me that again. You play 60 minutes, right? And then you toss a coin. You go, yeah, no. And the alien says, how about this? You play the 60 minutes, you toss the coin. The team that wins the coin toss scores a touchdown. They have to kick the extra point, right? They have to. Right. And then, and then the other team gets the ball because they got to get a fair chance. And if they score a touchdown, they don't kick the extra point to tie it. No, no, we end this thing right now. Right fucking now. You go for the two-point convert. You make it, you win. You don't make it, the defense stops you, they win. One play for all the marbles if it comes down to that scenario. What do you think, Mike? I think that this outrage uh, should have been displayed after a Super Bowl was decided by these overtime rules. Like, did we all forget about that? Like, people are like, "What do you mean this is like this is not fair?" But didn't the Patriots come back? Was that the comeback against Atlanta? That game, they got they won the coin toss and then scored a touchdown to to win that game. But we're talking about now, no, I know we're talking about now. now. now that, yes, we're talking yes. About now. I mean, is it okay. a fair? Is it a fair? Over, I mean, can you come up with a better right? The other only other one is this. Yeah. You play like in soccer, you play an extra period. You play it to right. time, 15 minutes, 10 minutes, whatever it's going to be. Because still, clock management and things like like in, in other words, in the overtime, yeah, you would have a chance to take the ball down the field and set it up for the winning field goal. Right. With time expiring. Not with 13 seconds still left on the clock. See, you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't, because someone would go, wait a minute, Buffalo trying to do that, and remember what happened to them. <laughs> yeah, but that was the old overtime rule, because I believe that had my, or the aliens' overtime rule come into play, it would be something like this, right? All right, the Chiefs have taken the lead seven, by seven points, whatever the score was. I don't right. even remember what the final score was, right? right? The Chiefs have taken the lead, and now it's up to Buffalo. It's up to Josh Allen to drive them down the field and score a touchdown. And here he goes and he throws a pass again. And that's a touchdown for the Bills. So you're you're not going nuts. You've got that touchdown. You're going, wait a second. Now we got to top it off. Now it's part two. That was dose number one. I got the vaccine, but now I need the booster. But what right. happens is the booster gives me the win. I win. There's nothing after that. It's all or nothing down to one play. Can you think of any, can you think of a greater drama? Right. The play hasn't started yet. <clears throat> Mike, this is like the pitcher is going to pitch to the batter in the bottom of the ninth, you know, whatever, game on the line, right? And either, I mean, the batter could could ground out, pop up, strike out, hit a home run, hit a double. There could be an error. A million things happen, right? 
with that. And you're waiting for that pitch to take place. Right. This is totally different. This is the play. This is if the defense stops them, they win. If the offense scores, they win. One play. This is the coin flip of all coin flips, except you've got to execute. Right. Right. You have to execute. This is something you've been working on. So the coaches are working on this. Okay. Uh, to me, it would be spectacular. That's my idea. Because I don't want to ever see this happen ever again. And God forbid. God forbid it happens in the Super Bowl. Yeah, like it God did. Forbid. Like it did. Now, it could have been worse. I'll just say it could have been uh, like, you know, first team to score and you could do it with a field goal. Like the fact that actually you have to get, if you, if you that's get sudden it, death. Well, that's sudden death. Right. So this is better than that. But I agree with you. We need to, it's, it's not fair if a coin flip is going to give you that much of an advantage in overtime. It's in a playoff game. I don't care what you do and in the regular season, it, but in the playoff game. Heads, right, <laughs> is that right? <laughs> I mean, you have to call heads, right? Who uh, calls 50, 50. tails? <laughs> no, no, come on. Who, but who calls tails? If he had won that, you'd be like, what a genius for calling tails. I guess, I guess. Right. <laughs> I guess right. What if the guy didn't understand the coin tossing? Though? What do you mean? <laughs> Tell, yeah, are you, are you, you, sometimes you chose, in the heat of the moment, like yeah. think about this. Yeah. You're thinking of a, you know, a post root, you know, 65 toss power trap to play. And then someone says to you, okay, heads or tails. You're like, what, what are you talking about? Like we, ne you never, you don't think that way. You've, you can, you've, you've worked on the play. You've practiced, you've practiced, you've executed. You, you're not practicing coin tosses, but maybe they should. Maybe the stats geek well, should get out there and say, okay, what, and what's the, what's the percentage of heads versus tails in all NFL games in the playoffs? I don't know. Anyway, tell me about, okay, 13, obviously, Sean McDermott yeah, should have never should have got to overtime. Tell me what never what should 13 seconds to go. Here's the rule in football. I'm kicking off to you. All I got to do, okay, is get the clock to run a little bit, just a little bit, a few seconds, something, keep the ball in play. What I don't want to do is give them the ball at their own 25 yard line with 13 seconds to go and three timeouts. Why would I do that? That's three plays to get you into field goal range oh, and a field goal nowadays, a 50 yard field goal nowadays is nothing. Right. <laughs> it's not like when Scott Norwood missed wide right from 47. Okay. In those days, a 47 yard well, field goal seemed to be a tougher field goal back in 1990. Yeah. Anyway. So here's what he should have done. Either a squib kick, which means you kick a freaking line drive. As soon as it hits a player, as soon as it touches a player, the clock starts right. 12 seconds, 11, 10. He falls on the ball. Nine seconds to go. Whistle goes. Eight seconds to go. Now there's eight seconds. Doesn't matter where the ball is. Eight seconds gives you time for one play and then a field goal. Maybe two if you throw a quick yeah. out. But I mean, by the time the ball's in the air and it gets caught, the guy's down, it's a few seconds there. Precious oh. Oh. seconds. Precious. <laughs> A lot of Monday morning quarterbacking going on here, though, because, you know. I didn't like, first of all, a squib kick's going to guarantee the three, at least three seconds go off the clock. Because even if the guy catches the ball, um, so whoever it is, and it's not going to be a receiver type guy, he's still got to fall on it or go down. Yeah, but what field or, or position are you giving up? Like like when you kick it no, out, not, and it doesn't matter. They that put point. you on the it's 20. Time. It doesn't matter. They're going to kick a field, but matters not. Matters not. Hmm. It's, the, it's when you're down to 13 seconds and you can get it to nine or something like that, do yeah. it. So the other thing is the receiving team can call a fair catch on a kickoff. Sure. So if they knew that he was going to bloop it up around the 30 yard line, they could, the guy could fair catch it. No time would come off the clock. But if you hit a squib kick, yeah. a line drive, as soon as it touches someone, clock's running. Anyway, that's one. The other one, the worst one, though, of the weekend was Mike Vrabel of Tennessee going for a two-point convert with the score 6-6 six, six in the first quarter against Cincinnati. 6-6. Wow, that's six, six. that's an analytics thing, right? Let's make right? it 8-6. Yeah. Instead of 7-6, seven, seven, let's make it 8-6. Eight, 8-6. Six. Eight, six. What the fuck do you need it to be 8-6 for? What advantage is 8-6 going to give you down the road? You're thinking, well, you're thinking late in the fourth quarter, we need, we need to be up by two points instead of one point? Like, what? Well, that means there is nothing. No reason for him to have gone for two points there at all. And guess but, what happened late in the game? Late yeah. in the game, they could have run the clock out with a one-point lead if they would have kicked that extra point. I know, but they the eggheads... Run heads, the clock out, but they didn't. The eggheads will show you the charts and say, yeah, the, the, the move at that point is to get the extra point. Like, that's what the eggheads will show you, the, the analytics that say the that. what? Eggheads? Yeah. Uh, you know what an egghead is? A propeller head? You know? Come on. A propeller head? <laughs> Where did that come from? I don't know. Archie Comics? I can't remember. I don't a propeller know. head. So the beanie with the propeller on it? Yeah, that was, you know, the, the, the brainiacs. So the brain, <laughs> you know, the nerds. 
We wouldn't know. We're jocks, right, Hebsy? We don't know. About oh, these God. Minutes. All right. We got our guests coming in a couple minutes. Let's talk a little hockey here. The Leafs in ninth. <laughs> uh, they're the ninth best team in the NHL, according to the overall standings. But they've only played 39 games this year to earn their 55 points. So they're third in the Atlantic Conference, four points better than Boston, 10 back of first place Florida, eight back of second place Tampa. Can you visualize that now? So they're way back of Florida and Tampa, but they got like so many games in hand. It's incredible. Uh, the other night, and my friends keep complaining about this. Oh, we blew another lead. <laughs> Folks, when someone blows a lead, okay, yeah. it only is if, it only works in your argument if they end up losing the game. Right. You see what I'm saying? So blowing a 3-1 lead and then winning the game in overtime is not blowing the lead. You, you relinquished a lead. You didn't blow. Blow seems like you blew it. You blew it. You lost. So no one's ever gone, oh, they blew the lead. In a win- Unless it's, not, it's a divisional rival and you don't want them to get the loser point, like if there's a reason you can't afford to yeah, give up the loser okay. point. Okay, in that situation, right? Okay, you can, you can. I'll allow you to call it and say blowing the lead. Sure, but it's not. They didn't blow the lead, right? They won the game. So, uh, and it was sloppy, sloppy, sloppy. But they won it. They beat the Ducks. Uh, the Leafs visit lowly Detroit tomorrow. Then they host New Jersey on Monday, in front of maybe Mike 500 fans, because. Monday is when they open up Ontario again. Right. Half capacity unless, well, unless the, unless your capacity is more than 1,000, <laughs> then it's 500. Right. That's it. Max. Um, well, we'll see what happens on that day. The big hockey story, though, the return of Evander Kane to the NHL. He signed with the Oilers yesterday. Did a sit-down interview with TSN's Kayla Gray, who flew to, I don't know where he lives, San Jose or Edmonton now or wherever he is, flew there uh, and did a, a, quite a revealing uh, interview. Uh, um, interview about his vaccination status, his relationship with his ex-wife mm. and his daughter, his gambling problems. But he also called out Jeff O'Neill, the O-Dog on um, Overdrive on TSN radio, who questioned Kane's parenting skills and said on the radio, quote, this is O'Neill, he's got to fix himself and his relationship with his daughter, end quote. So Kane's response to that was, I was infuriated, infuriated, and later remarked, quote, that's crossing the line. I wish O'Neill was playing in the NHL right now. Hmm. Mm. And Gray also asked the most, mm, I, I don't want to say it was a bizarre question, maybe the way she asked it, but it was sort of like a police interrogation. It was good. It was good. She said, right across from him, looking right in the eye. She says, so do I, I have to ask you, did you abuse your ex-wife? And I went, whoa, man. You're sitting right there and you're going, man, like, you know, there's all these allegations. I like, did you abuse your ex? I was like, whoa, man. Uh, I might have said, like, I don't know what response she expected. Like, you know, like he was going to go, oh, yeah, I beat my wife. Like, he wasn't going to say that. If she would have asked, mm, I would have said, what about the allegations that you abused your wife? And then you wait, you pause and maybe the response is different, but I'm like, like, it was strange. It was awkward, but it was good. It was like the interrogation room at a police station. You know what I mean? <laughs> Except at the end, they kind of shook hands or she, you know, she said, thanks. Thanks very much for, you know, um, uh, giving us the time to do the interview kind of a thing, which kind of at the end was, I, I wish they would have cut it before that, before they, before they did the thanks for joining me thing. If they would have just cut it at his final, clip see i think he knows that question's coming like i feel like that's a condition of the interview that you're going to get that question so oh yeah yeah if you're not comfortable with that question no interview kind of deal yeah yeah it was good no it was very uh it was very interesting very revealing but like he basically called out odog and when you look at the clip you're going yeah you know what i don't think jeff o'neill needed to say that unless he knew for a fact he said you know he's got his agent's got to get him you know, I forget the whole clip and I don't want to, you know, put words in, in, in O-Dog's mouth, but essentially it was, you know, his agent's got to get him in line. He's got to get him, you know, looking after himself and, and fixing himself and fixing his relationships. And, and, and he goes on to say, and, you know, fixing his relationship with his daughter. Now, any parent is going to go, ho, you can't talk about my parenting skills and certainly not in public that, you know, that's crossing the line. I do agree. Unless you know the guy or you got some inside information about Vander Kane, you can't you can't do stuff like that. You just can't do it. All right, our guests are coming up. First, let me tell you folks about uh, this great company, NateMakesSoap.com. Uh, I love it, man. I'm telling you, I told you, it fits beautifully in the hand of a man. It's, for, it's a manly thing. 
It's like soap, soap on a rope without the rope. It's great stuff, folks. It moisturizes your skin. It doesn't dry it out like the shit that you buy at Shoppers Drug Mart, like these big companies, you know, Bristol Myers or whoever they are, Johnson & Johnson. Yeah, our soap's the best because it, it doesn't sting your baby's eyes. You're not a baby anymore, okay? Get, get great soap. Get, get, get NateMakesSoap.com. And by the way, he's offering a free sample of the soap if you live in Toronto in the free delivery zone from St. Clair South to King, and from Bathurst West to Keel. Go to www.hebsy.online slash soap. www.hebsy.online slash soap. No comms or CAs there. You could probably skip those, uh, skip those W's now. You could do that. You could. You're right. Just the hebsy.online slash soap. Okay? And by the way, uh, if it's not in Nate's delivery area, and even if it is sometimes, uh, our folks uh, at goodfootdelivery.com uh, are going to deliver your package to you. Goodfoot Delivery is a Toronto courier service that provides meaningful employment to the neurodiverse and developmentally disabled community. It's very important, folks. This is a nonprofit organization right in my neighborhood here, right near Little Italy. Uh, and they offer employment and support to a community of people who traditionally have challenges finding regular, meaningful employment. Their website makes ordering easy and provides you with instant rates and real-time tracking. They offer affordable same-day and high-priority options to ensure your packages arrive on time. And their rates are lower than even Canada Post, those bastards, with, deli- with delivery guaranteed within a short period of time. I shouldn't make fun of it, really, because on-time delivery is an important thing. Nothing beats great service and speedy delivery while supporting a local social enterprise. And get this, the good people of goodfootdelivery.com are offering you, the listeners, 50% off any of their delivery services. 50% off! Go to goodfootdelivery.com, enter the promo code HEBSY50 for 50% off your first two deliveries. You can have something delivered for as low as $4. Goodfootdelivery.com, enter the promo code HEBSY50 for 50% off and support a local charitable organization. Our guest today brought along his own special guest. So this is the way it's going to work. I introduce the guest. The guest introduces the special, special guest. And then we all have a nice conversation. Bruce Dobigan was the first Canadian journalist to report on investigations into Alan Eagleson and how National Hockey League players' pensions were being mismanaged. He had a series of articles back in 1991 to expose this guy. Prior to that, he worked for TV Guide, CBC Radio, CBC Television as a sportscaster right around the same time I was at Global TV. We were rivals <laughs> and friends. He wrote uh, for the Globe and Mail as well, and his first book was a beauty, The Defense Never Rests. His current book, which he co-wrote, is Inexact Science, the Six Most Compelling Draft Years in NHL History. Please welcome <laughs> Bruce Dobigan from Calgary, Alberta. <laughs> A little dark out where I am this morning. Right. Yeah, what's going on with dark. the light in your home there? What do you got going? You got a backlight there? You got any light in that room? Uh, I'm trying. I got everything on. It's just we haven't got any natural light at the moment. So no, you I'll sit a little closer. I'll artificial. sit a little closer. Hang right. on. I'll put a, little clo- put a little key light on my chin there. Yeah, you, you, you worked in television, man. Yeah, I know. Well, listen. Here's the book, know. okay? Here's, here's, here's the book. This is it. Sa- it saves me size. having to do it. Yeah, that's yeah, the, book. the book right there. So I've read it already. I mean, it was out a little while ago, but it's really good. Can you introduce uh, the co-author and a, 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 yeah. a personal friend of yours? Well, he's more than a friend, of course. He's well, it's my it's my son, my eldest son, Evan. I have two sons, but this is Evan. And uh, the uh, you know the yeoman's uh, amount of work in this book uh, he did. Uh, he's always been a bit of a rain man about about hockey, in particular in sports. Uh, trivia, data, all that sort of stuff. And whenever I was writing my books uh, going up, but this is my, I think my ninth or 10th book, I'd always call Evan to get details correct. Rather, rather than be embarrassed publicly, I'd call Evan. And so we finally gotten to the point where, uh, you know, he was interested in doing a book. He runs a stat center for TSN. <clears throat> he can get them online, works uh, for TSN. And uh, uh, obviously this is right in his wheelhouse. And so we decided to do this book. And ladies and gentlemen, Evan Dobigan. Yes. Hey, Evan, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me on, guys. I'm glad to be called a special guest, I guess, for a change. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, listen, man. Uh, and buy, and you get uh, free parting gifts, too, never mind that. Do you, you, right. you live in Toronto, Evan? Yes, I do. I live in the south part of Etobicoke. 
Hey, oh, hello. too bad that's not in Nate's uh, delivery range. But I think we can get. Right. I think we can get our, our our good friends at Goodfoot Delivery maybe out there. And you're near public transit, anyway. Evan, He's so about you, ten minutes away from Mike's place. He lives about ten yeah. minutes away from Mike's. Oh, Toronto even Mike. better. You know what? Even yeah. better. Yeah, Mike's Mike's place is a good drop. Mike, you can handle that one, can you? I'll bike it. I'll bike it over. I'm here in New Toronto. Career. How about that? Awesome. Wonderful. Uh, all right. So listen, but Evan, you've got to earn it though first. So what's so right. you're so you work for TSN and um so tell me specifically what you do because I got some questions about TSN. If you're an insider there. So uh, uh, don't get him uh, in trouble now. Come on, don't get hey Bruce, hey Bruce, you hang on a second. I'll get back to you. I need to talk to Evan here. I don't know Evan. All right. <laughs> no, it's I know something. I mean, I'm not the insider that all the hockey guys there are with all the juicy uh you know rumors and <laughs> And uh, insider info, but uh, t- but I still, you know, contribute to the Twitter side of things. Oops. Well, that was good. And um, yeah. the, uh, so I do the statistical side of things, basically. Um, and I have a Twitter account that uh, sort of chronicles that. Like, as you go along each sports night, there'll be lots of stats as we have games and things like that. So, like, I'm kind of sort of covering it in the when the games are happening, rather than, you know, like the aftermath of it. So, like, I'll put up tweets, and uh, sometimes they have graphic boards on them. So I do contribute to the sports center side of things when they need some information. And they're, you know, live TV, as you know, is kind of hectic, and you can't really come up with those things on the fly so quickly. So I'm kind of like a back backup resource for uh, people, so, you know, to help out when, uh, when things are a little uh, crazy on TV and stuff like that. So that's kind of like the role I play with it. But mainly it's the online, it's the Twitter, the social media thing that, that uh, I What's provide. What's your Twitter handle, buddy? It's, uh, well, I have my own one, but that's nobody cares about No, no, I mean the one, the, one that you stat, want us, the yeah. one that you want us to follow. Yeah, at Stat Center, S-O-S-T-A-T-S-C-E-N-T-R-E. All right, T-R-E, for those of us listening in the U.S. and other parts of the world, it's T-R-E. Put the T-E-R in, you're going to get something else. Yeah, people will reply and say, hey, you're spelling it wrong. And I'll go, no, 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 not in Canada. That's RE. We do it up here. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. tell me, uh, so tell me, tell me how this works. So the book's really interesting because it's about these draft years where when you look back at the draft years, you go, what the heck were they thinking? Like, what, yeah. like, what was going on? Well, how did this guy go? How did this guy not, you know? And, and it's really quite fascinating. And then at the end of each chapter, you go, like, here's the way the draft should have gone, which I find hysterically right. funny but at the same time very interesting because you know the beauty of stats is you look back and go wow if only they would have known you know they would have drafted him there right. um did you come up with this concept this idea to look back at a particular draft and go wow like how did they all mess up so badly i think uh, the idea for at the end doing the redraft uh, i don't think i i came up with that i think it might have been my dad's idea to sort of like resort it and I said, oh, yeah, that's something I would love to do. Sure. Like, you know, I kind of just chimed in right away and thought, okay, great. We'll try that if they wanted to do it that way. But uh, doing the each, you know, each year, the six essential, you know, so most most compelling years anyway. Like it's not an analytical, you know, scouting standpoint kind of saying here's the best years based on all the great players. But what's the most interesting to a fan, to a follower or whatever, uh, based on stories as well and how it played out, not just at the time, but as, you know, the years went by. So I think I originally was just trying to look at one particular year, the, the 19, which is in the, uh, the book, the chapter on 1989. I thought, wouldn't it be great to you know, look at that year because of how great the Red Wings did and what they did to change people's mindset with drafts. And uh, then it just sort of blossomed from there to be more of a broad look at, uh, at some year, at more than one year. And it turned out to be we settled on six and got really in-depth on each one so that we could give more of a history, more of a timeline of it rather than just a specific year and going off from there. So the idea started with that and then kind of just sort of germinated from there and into doing a lot of years and making it a little more broader scope for people to get into rather than too specific, I guess. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Bruce, that was the, uh, I remember you and I had talked about this. That was the Dave Chizowski year. And and just I remember and the Stu Barnes year and I was Sundin was first overall that year but that was yeah. when you look back at that you were going what where, where were these guys thinking and you look at some of the general ma- generals manager no general managers managers yes <laughs> yeah and you kind of go well oh okay I get it yeah this cost him his job and that was I mean, how did he miss that guy and 
And, well, uh, we, we were we were trying to to pick the six years we picked were ones that changed the draft in some fashion. And '89, as probably as Evan mentioned, you could do a whole book on '89 because there's all sorts of stuff in there about Pavel Bury and other people. But '89, so hang on, hang on. So that draft was Sundin first, Chizowski to the Islanders, yeah, Scott Thornton to the Leafs third overall, yeah. like Stu Barnes fourth to Winnipeg, Billy Guerin to the Islanders fifth. Islanders had two of the top five picks. Adam Bennett to Chicago sixth. Doug Zmolek to Minnesota 7th. Jason Herter to Vancouver 8th. Jason Marshall to St. Louis 9th. And Bobby Halik 10th to Hartford. What a first round. Yeah, well, what's amazing when you do the redraft, too, I'm looking at my own book here just to refresh my memory. <laughs> so when, was I. <laughs> when, we do, when we did the redraft, uh, the guy who was picked first overall was a third-round pick. A guy who was picked second overall was a fifth-round pick. The guy who was third... Pavel Bury was a third. He went 113. Yeah, yeah. So Crazy. in other words, they found all of this gold in the middle of the draft, and all of these GMs, all of these guys who'd done business as usual for so long, it was over. All yeah. of a sudden, the Red Wings were telling them that there's a new way to do business. Right. And not just did the Red Wings drafted well, but they also finally won four Stanley Cups in 25 years. They were the dominant franchise for that period of time. And so we were trying to answer questions about the draft. You know, everybody says how important it is. But as, as you can see with, with Connor McDavid, drafting the greatest player in the NHL doesn't get you anywhere unless you get the other thing. So we were trying to bring all that to bear when we chose these six years. Nice. I, I don't want to spend too much time on the book because it is a great book. And, and it's the type, the thing I like about it is I don't have to read the whole thing start to finish. I can pick, you know, 89. I can take the 89 draft year yeah. or the 84 draft year and go oh, 79. And I can just, you know, that put myself into that year. Yeah. And what was going on and what the background was. How did this team do the year before? Stuff like that, which, which is great. That makes the book really interesting. Inexact Science. Terrific book. Now, I want to get into, and Bruce, first with you, because I know you're into baseball as well, and we talk about a numbers game. You know, I was disappointed this week when only one uh, person was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame, and that was David Ortiz, for a number of reasons. First of all, I didn't think he's worthy uh, first ballot Hall of Famer, David Ortiz, no. But the other one was the controversy, which may be ending over the Bonds-Clemens thing, and how the numbers have changed over the years where the younger voters are starting to, are, are voting for Bonds and Clemens, but it's now yeah. too late for that. Yeah. Can we talk about your, like, I'd like your opinion on the way the Baseball Hall of Fame is now perceived. Well, they backed themselves into a corner taking this stand. I mean, they put people in the Hall of Fame. Gaylord Perry's in the Hall of Fame, and he, he admitted to cheating for years. Uh, there, there were guys uh, for a whole generation who did amphetamines, lots of amphetamines, and they got into, into the, the Baseball Hall of Fame. On this one, the, uh, the, the writers decided to get all high and mighty and say that, that these guys, we, we have no proof that Bonds took steroids. It, it was never proven. But we've decided that this, this bunch of guys are the worst people who ever lived and they can't get into the Hall of Fame. And they backed themselves into that corner so that all they had left this year was a guy like David Ortiz, who was tested positive for, for roids, but who somehow got himself wiggled out. And, of course, being from Boston and having Pete Gammons write lovingly about you always helps. Oh, and everyone, no, everyone yeah. in the media, though, come on. I mean, I interviewed yeah. him, too. I mean, what a nice guy. Oh, and yeah, comes I'm not to, saying he's And not. now when the ballot's in front of you, you go, uh, you know, his numbers were, they were good, but oh, what's such a good well, guy. So, I'd love to see him up there talking. And you can envision him standing in Cooperstown, giving yeah. his induction speech and saying, yeah, he's in. Yeah. Well, he'll be a good guy for it. And he's a good guy for baseball. But at the end of the day, I, the only way you can really condemn these guys for, for steroids now is if you identify every guy in the major leagues, who used steroids in that era. What we're doing is we're taking the top percentage of guys and saying, Oh, you're carrying the cross for all this steroid stuff. There were second basemen who hit 17 home runs. who should have hit four or five home runs because they were doing roids. They've all escaped all of this criticism. So unless you're going to level an equal punishment right across the board, I think you have to admit that bonds and all these guys put it on the plaque, say that, you know, there was controversy about them. Same with Pete Rose. Now put that on the plaque, but get it in there. Cause if this is about history, this yeah. is, if this is a museum of history right now, you're missing a lot of the history. Unless every baseball writer was also a clinical psychologist and could, <laughs> could really effectively make a judgment, a professional judgment on a player's ability outside the arena and how that might affect him because of certain, you know, yeah. uh, psychological or uh, you know, whatever. I, I just, I don't, I don't see how a baseball writer can 
can look and say, well, you know, he wasn't the real nice guy. And so because of that, I'm, all the stuff well, I watched him do, all the amazing things I watched him do, uh, just go down the drain. Well, here's uh, the thing, Mark. When you and I started in the business, and I'm going to do the, the old the old fogey thing here, but the, the reporters we had there when we came into the business, they were guys who after the game went for a drink, and a lot of them had had those kind of issues, but yeah. they, weren't, they weren't got up on social issues. They weren't guys who made big, broad stroke stuff. They covered baseball. They covered football. That's what Never. they talked about, et cetera. But the, the generation, our generation, you and me and other people like it, we've come in and we've applied these other standards. All of a sudden we're arbiters of the things you just talked about. What happens off the field, social issues. Is that person now quote unquote woke enough, et cetera. That's a whole new thing for sports reporting that's come in our generation. And I don't think it's, I don't think it's been a good thing. It's also come at the exact same time as the, um, the analytics push. It's almost a parallel universe where it's like social media and analytics, which meant Mm. Okay, and I'm going to bring Evan in for this. Evan, now you can back up any argument in sports with analytics to the point where now part of the negotiations for between the Major League Baseball Players Association and the owners, part of it is they want to use war, okay, war as a, a, a tool for negotiating. What do you think about that? Well, you know, like agents and uh, people who are trying to get their themselves a top dollar are obviously going to you know find the stat that really helps them the most. War has become a popular one in recent years. Um, it's kind of one of those great all-encompassing stats where, you know, it doesn't, doesn't just consider a player's ability to hit home runs or to, you know, get base hits or get on base, but also their defensive uh, worth to a team. And they separate that because there's offensive and defensive war are separate stats, and then you mm-hmm. put them together. Um and so for guys who have that five tool ability, they're going to say, look, I, I, I deserve to get paid, even though I don't hit, you know, as many home runs as so-and-so. And I don't have, a, you know, the kind of, I'm not always hitting over 300, but I'm always getting on base kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So they play like a Mike Trout or something or a Joey Votto. They do everything particularly really well, even if there's no, you know, one thing that they may dominate everybody in and one particular statistic. Right. So, so any player like that is getting, getting huge paydays. And now because of that, we, that trend toward it, I think we saw in recent years, a lot of players who can do something like hit home runs and drive in a lot of runs are not getting the massive contracts they used right. to get right. because they'll say, well, yeah, you hit a lot of home runs, but that's not everything, even though every, cause everyone's doing it because of all the, you know, the stuff about launch angles and when, to, you know, when to swing, when not to, how to work out the count. Mm-hmm. And everything. Um, so, so it's helped the guys who are really multi-tool players. It helped, it's, it's kind of a, not not such a bad thing. And that players who are that multifaceted, such as the Mookie Betts, will get paid the top contracts. And you know, say somebody who's you know jacking home runs all the time but hitting 250, you know, might might now is is getting a little more uh, closely analyzed under the microscope for everything they don't do well. Yeah, so, yeah. Hebsey's, Hebsey's point is great, too, because it, it, it's the analytics have given the agents a whole new range of things to mm-hmm. walk in and negotiate yeah. with. That's been one of the most important things about it. And and us in, in our media, we, we have, have adopted analytics because it makes us sound smart. So we sound smart. They get more money. It's a perfect one-two punch on, on the owners and the general managers who don't know how to – who haven't really known how to defend against it. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Evan, the fact that baseball is such a slow and deliberate game and just allows for a multitude of statistics, just the count alone, and being <laughs> able to uh, take a player's worth versus hockey, which, and I'll be honest with you, and I love hockey. I love playing it. I love watching it. But there's times with hockey where I saw something happen in real time, obviously, and then two minutes later at the other end of the ice, well after that um, you know, made a, um, uh, an impression on me, I had forgotten about it. If I'm at the rink, I never see it again. If I'm at home and the director decides he's not going to run uh, a replay of a particular play, it's kind of lost forever. Whereas mm-hmm. in baseball, it's it's there. It's it's there. There's a snapshot of the play, the at bat, the pitch, whatever it is. Yeah. Does it make it more difficult to define a hockey player analytically what a an individual player's worth versus a baseball player? Yeah, I think so, because there are fewer variables. And, uh, you know, from what I know of analytics, like I'm not a guru on it. I do have an understanding of it. More so the baseball kind uh, and then the hockey kind. But I think it's, yeah, it's tough because not everybody, you know, in, in, in baseball, you know, there's defense and then you're hitting and then you're pitching. 
but there's not much else really to quantify, but a lot of stats within each one of those ranges, obviously. But in hockey, you know, there's uh, lots of different things that a player can bring to the table without being useful offensively, without being, uh, you know, um, a typical shutdown defender even. They can throw hits. They can be physical that way. They can like there's a lot of stats that, that are accumulated, but hard to break down. You know, in terms of like, and what does it all mean and something. So, and the GMs now, you know, over the years, have been hiring people to make them understand this because like, look, I've got like I'm a general manager. I can't be know the ins and outs of all these uh, analytics in hockey now. So I need to bring on somebody who can break right. that down for me, so I can go to the negotiating table and say, oh, I like this guy scored thirty something goals, but look at his. PDO or something. It's not really that good. Or look at his defensive zone starts or whatever. He's, he's not, the coach doesn't feel he's strong defensively. So why am I supposed to pay you like you're, you know, just for your offense kind of idea. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of opened up a different negotiating, uh, you know, uh, situation in hockey. But I think in baseball, there's, you know, like you say, it's all in front of you because you can see all the plays, the foul balls, whatever. And uh, you can, so you know when a guy makes a really good catch or when a guy makes a really good play defensively and it's not necessarily, you can even, you can write it down and stuff, and it, as it happens, hard because it's the speed of hockey to really yeah, pick right. up on all that. You might miss a block shot or something, or or a great clear, you know, or right. lead you, stretch pass. Right. But you saw, you might have seen it in live in real time and go, yeah. "Wow, what a play!" But you can't find, you can't find that. Like, like Bruce, it's like um, when you're sending an audition tape out now, hey eh, Bruce, it's like you have so much video available that you can easily put something together. Yeah. Whereas in the past, it would be. Um, you know, you'd have to write all this down and say, well, here's a bunch of stats here. It's like, well, let's just take a look at this. Boom, boom, boom. Put a highlight reel together. And, and general managers, that's not their expertise. They need, there's, you know, they need other people to do all that and put the analytics together, wow. put it in a nice package and present it. And you're right. This is what's happening in, in, in managements across hockey, all the sports is the general managers realize they can't do this anymore. And, and they are bringing in people to do analytics. They're having separate people do the analytics for them. Uh, there's controversy because sometimes they tell them what they don't want to hear, but they've, they've decided they've got to do this in every sport. They've got to have more people being able to analyze. Just, you just look at the NFL games last weekend. And how many guys are on the sidelines uh, as coaches? There's 22, 23 guys for the Green Bay Packers. Somehow they had 10 guys on the field for the last kick. I know. (laughs) Clearly there's information that's still missing. Clearly there's stuff that these guys aren't getting. So, uh, you know, uh, Evan's brother is a big Chicago Bear fan, and he's he's been talking about the management changes there. And he says they need to develop an analytics department for the Bears to get them out of the rut that they're in. So It's it's, true, they do. I'm a Bears fan too. Oh my God. Yeah. You know, I actually so gave up on the bears because well, they, I gave they, up on the lions. They so weren't great. progressive. They were still in the <laughs> yeah. George Hallis era. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was a lions fan until this year. And then I decided oh I'll become God. a Josh Allen fan. <laughs> there's, enough, there's enough suffering in life, but you're right. It's hard to quantify hockey. There's no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Listen, before, um, before we go, I want to ask you about a play. I saw this week, this goaltender for Buffalo, Aaron Dell, who on a couple of previous occasions had like stuck out his hip and deliberately tried to, I don't want to say injure a guy, but I'm pretty close to it where he knew the guy was coming and he like gave him, it's like a sucker punch. He just got a three game suspension. The guy, he, uh, the guy he hit, um, Matherson, Blake Matherson for uh, Ottawa is out at least a couple of months with like a high ankle sprain. Do you think three games, like I didn't like this. Did you think three games was sufficient to Bruce? Well, we, we've, we've always tried to quantify this. What, what's a proper punishment? Should the guy stay out as long as the guy he injures? I mean, that's been around <laughs> the first day I worked at CBC Radio. We probably right. talked about that. Intent, thing. but intent to injure. Yeah. That, that was intentional. He knew the guy was coming. Nobody sticks their hip out just to have fun. He knew yeah. the guy was coming. Well, the problem has always been that the consistency of the punishment in hockey hasn't been there. Gary Bettman gave, what, the 21-game suspension for, for knocking into Pierre Turgeon, but nowadays you can sort of hit a guy in the head and, and nothing happens. Uh, right. That's the problem. How do, you, how do you say this is worse than some of the other things that are happening? Intent is a big thing, but how do you prove intent? You can have the guy in the meeting. What were you thinking at the time? Well, he can tell you anything, and you can't rebut it. I, I, I thought three was, and considering how badly the guy was hurt, I thought three was a little bit under. And the other part I always have about, about goalies, too, is they're so padded up. Why are we protecting goalies? Why is there this whole thing? They <laughs> yeah, they're warriors out there. They can't be hurt. He's padded every part of his body. And, and oh, if you'd like to put a hand on him, oh, that's a penalty. Anyway, I never understood it. Yeah. Uh, Evan, last word to you. What are uh, the three-game suspension for what I think is intent to injure? 
it's um, <clears throat> if if perhaps Dell was a skater, like a defenseman or a forward, you might say, well, that's okay. They're going to miss him. You know, it, it always it's 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 unfortunate when a player you know who's as important to a team as uh, Batherson is to Ottawa goes out, and the guy who takes him out is just some you know. There's a, it's kind of a carousel going somewhat, somewhat. anyway. Some, somewhat. What's Aaron Dell? What are you saying? He's a yeah, exactly. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, career backup, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, he's just sort of had, like gone along, uh, you know, playing that role. So he's not a superstar. Or hurts his team too badly by taking the suspension. On top of that, it's like a three-game suspension, and I guess they enforce it in a way that's like, oh well, he'll set out three. But Buffalo might not have played him for those. You know, he's not a superstar workhorse goalie. Exactly. Um, so he, it's like a starting pitcher. It's like yeah, it's yeah. like they suspend a starting pitcher for ten seven days. Yeah, one. Yeah, start. it's like so. It's like the total uh, kind of unfortunate um, for for Ottawa who did the move was just some you know just another goalie instead of somebody that's right. Gonna, it's on an opposition team like Buffalo. Anyways, it's you know yeah. not a, not not somebody who's got a season that's uh, going so well either. So it just feels totally. Like you get ripped off by missing out on him for however, however many weeks it's going to be, and he's a great, exciting player. And Dell, you know, just decided to get he wanted to get on the highlight reels, and it totally yeah, exactly. <laughs> for the wrong reasons he got on, and he did. And let me tell you right now, the next time Dell plays, I guarantee you, when they play Ottawa, they're, even <laughs> if he's the backup goalie, somebody might go over to the bench and throw a punch at him. <laughs> Look, uh, guys, the bench. Yeah. Hey, listen, the book's called Inexact Science. It's the six most com- uh, compelling draft years. In uh, hockey history, Bruce Dobigan and Evan Dobigan are the co-authors. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us. And thanks for your thoughts on some of the uh, the issues in sports today. Mike, before they go, do you have uh, a question for either of our guests? Yeah, real brief here. Firstly, Evan, nice to meet you. I've heard so much about you, and uh, I know you live <laughs> in my hood or nearby, so it's a pleasure to meet away. you. Yeah, I th- Long Branch, but okay, it's well, close to Mimico. So, yeah. oh, no, hey, I'm in New oh, Toronto. Mike- Michael, go right up Royal York Road. <laughs> you, he'll meet you in the in the, uh, at the the no frills there. Yeah, yeah. Royal York right. Road there. Okay, on the west uh, side. Lake. Oh, but uh, the other one, Lakeshore and uh, Browns oh, Line. Oh, oh yeah, that one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's even closer. Yeah. Right. So Evan, nice to meet you. And Bruce, uh, yes, do sir. you mind giving us a very quick uh, health update? I know you had some uh, health challenges very oh, yeah. recently. I forgot to ask about that. Uh, yeah, it was it was an interesting holidays. I was in the hospital twice for a massive pulmonary embolism. Uh, and I am now recovering. Uh, well, obviously, you can see I'm functioning uh, and uh, taking medicine and stuff like that. Yeah. It'll probably be another couple of months till it's all out. But, uh, yeah, we're getting up and right. It was scary. It was scary. Wow. came out of nowhere. And uh, for people our age, Hebsey, you know, it's like we think we're immortal. We think we're going to go on forever. And then, whoops, something happens. You're right. Ooh, I don't yeah. think I'm immortal. I think I'm immoral sometimes. <laughs> well, yeah, there is that too, yeah. <laughs> Gentlemen, again, a pleasure. Bruce Dobigan, Evan Dobigan, Thank thanks for joining us. Thanks, and uh, we've got gifts coming out to you uh, via NateMakesSoap.com and our friends at GoodFootDelivery.com. Okay, guys, thanks. Thank you. Perfect. Cheers. Thanks. All right. We're going to get into the basketball now on the show. Mike, uh, I know you're a Raptors fan, and we've kind of neglected the Raptors, you know? And I know that, you know, I've gone over this before, that you would like to see them, you know, have a better <laughs> draft pick. But we're kind of stuck here now where they're chasing eighth place. Right. And that was my worry, actually, the whole time, is that uh, this is a team that's going to be doing that. And that reminds me of where the, until the Austin Math, till he scorched the earth and ended up with Austin Matthews and some good draft picks on the Leafs. That's sort of where the Leafs lived for a decade, right? That kind of, I just, I think it's better to just uh, get one more lottery pick and then build towards the future. But I know you disagree. Well, they've, I mean, the injuries have really hurt them this year. Just as you're getting back to it, you know, Freddie is like, Freddie's played more minutes than anybody else. Yeah. Uh, Pascal is still, you know, coming to his own. He's uh, for the most part, the best player on the court, him and Freddie are, you know, your two guys. But other than that, they're a little, you know, the depth isn't there. And Ken Birch got a busted nose and, uh, you know, Scotty Barnes had some knee issues and Trent juniors, uh, some injuries and also some dumb moves on the court. I don't know. Anyway, yeah. that's weird. And Chris Boucher keeps, uh, for some reason, getting the ball and putting up three pointers when we really need one. And he's only a 25% shooter from distance. So these are things that are kind of bugging me. The, the Raptors are right now in ninth place and they're going to battle. There's only really one team. I think Boston really is the only other team that they're battling with. The others have kind of pulled away a bit here and it's like them in Boston for eighth place. So I don't, I don't know. I, I don't like, they're not looking as good, but geez, if they can all get healthy and be on the court, they're a good team when they're all out there. You know, it's not very often at all. Uh, the NBA all-star starters were announced. The game's in Cleveland on the 20th of February. And honestly, I can't think of a 
better place to be in February, mid February, <laughs> than Cleveland, Ohio, he said, with tongue planted firmly in cheek. I was there, actually, I was there with my buddy Jeff Church. We were there at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremonies, but that was in April a few years ago. We actually saw the Jays Cleveland play on a Friday night. It was like 80 degrees. A Friday night in April, oh, and wow. then the next day, rain, freezing cold. <laughs> we went to the Rock and Roll uh, Hall of Fame uh, um, ceremonies, which were because because Jeff's a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and if you're a member, you can buy tickets to the big gala. It's amazing. It was fun. That's the last time I was in Cleveland. But anyway, uh, and we had a chance to see um, LeBron play uh, in a playoff game uh, as well for Cleveland. Wow. But anyway, so here's the here's the starters, the yeah. Western starters: LeBron James of the Lakers, Nikola Jokic of the Nuggets, Steph Curry of the Warriors. Uh, John Morant of the Grizzlies and Andrew Wiggins of the Warriors is a starter. Andrew, I don't want to get faxed. Okay, I'll get faxed. Wiggins? This guy? Surprise. I don't even want to say he's Canadian because I this guy here. Really? Andrew Wiggins? All right. If you say so. In the East, Kevin Durant of the Nets, DeMar DeRozan of the Bulls, Giannis Antetokounmpo of the Bucks, Joel Embiid of the Sixers. Is he phenomenal? What a week this guy's having. Like, I think he went off for 50, 42, 46, and 38 or something like that. He's fantastic. And Trey Young of the Hawks, who's also great. That was a pretty good starter. Andrew Wiggins starting for the West? Andrew, I don't want to get vaccinated Wiggins? Okay, I'll get vaccinated Wiggins. Andrew, I want to protect my family. Right. You know, I want to make sure financially that this window that I can protect. Dude, you're making $27 million a year. Really? <laughs> I mean, Really? When his daughter, his daughter phoned him with the news, and apparently he said he, he thought he was dreaming. Like, he was, I guess, just awake, woken up, and he thought he was in some dream state when he heard uh, his daughter say he was a starter. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Andrew Wiggins? Okay. Uh, golf now, third round of the Farmers Insurance Open at Torrey Pines goes today. Wait, wait, has he round three? No. Are you fucked up here? It's Friday. Friday's round two. Saturday's round three. Sunday's final round. No. <laughs> Because the PGA Tour, smart as they are, went, no, that's the weekend of the NFL playoffs, and eh, we don't want to be battling them for television eyes or even people who might come out to Torrey Pines who might be L.A. Rams fans or Niners fans or Bengals fans or she said, wasn't risky, wasn't worth the risk. So they said, all right, guys, we start on Wednesday, round two is Thursday, Friday's round three, we're finished Saturday, everybody can go home, watch the football on Sunday. What a move. Beautiful. So there's a record nine Canadians in the field of Torrey Pines. Uh, and uh, top Canadians, Nick Taylor and Taylor Pendrith. Taylor, Taylor and Taylor. Huh. Uh, at Both at minus six, leading the Canadian contingent. Good enough for a tie for 23rd. The leaders are John Rahm, Justin Thomas, and Adam Schenk at minus 13. Did you say Shank? No, it's Schenk. Adam Schenk. But just having a name like that and being a golfer. Right. Schenk. Right. Uh, by the way, Michael Gligic, uh, who they call Jiggy. That's his nickname, Jiggy Gligic from Burlington, who I'm sure has played uh, Crosswinds Golf and Country Club. Um, he made the cut uh, on the number at minus three, as did, as did Adam Svensson. Minus three was the cut. That's how easy the course is playing. Uh, Mackenzie Hughes, Corey Connors, Adam Hadwin, uh, Sear, and Detroit all missed the cut. So uh, five, uh, five of the nine missed the cut. On the ladies' side, Maud Amy LeBlanc, the 32-year-old from Quebec, is tied for fourth after the opening round of the Gainbridge LPGA tournament. She shot 567. Brooke Henderson. Henderson is tied for 13th after 468. She bogeyed uh, 18 yesterday. Her last hole, she bogeyed it. Took forever over this putt. Like her and her sister, they plumb bobbed it, went back, forth, back, forth, back, forth. She hadn't made a bogey in like 80 holes or something like that. Uh, anyway, and she missed the putt. So she's, um, she's 468. The leader, Olivia Coe. Nine under par, 63. In tennis, I stayed up twice this week. Actually, I stayed up once really late, and the other time I got up really early mm. to watch Denis Shapovalov and Felix Auger-Aliassime. They both lost, but thrilling five-setters. Very different. Chapeau, um lost to uh, Rafa Nadal. It was a fantastic. Great match. Too bad that he lost, but boy, Nadal is just... He's amazing, and of course, he's going for his 21st major, which would put him ahead of Federer and Djokovic. Uh, he's going to battle Daniel Medvedev, who, who knocked off uh, Felix Auger-Aliassime, also in five sets. Uh, fabulous match as well. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Nadal beat Matteo Berrettini in four sets yesterday, and Medvedev took out Stefanos Tsitsipas in four sets, so they go for the final. And I'm, I don't think anyone, even Medvedev's family, 
is rooting for Medvedev. He's <laughs> that disliked, and the combination of that and the fact that Rafa is so beloved, especially now that he'll go ahead of Djokovic. Right. And Medvedev had made a remark about Djokovic. They, after his match with, with, um, with, with Felix, he said, well, you know, I was spurred on by the, by the, by the comments of Djokovic. And, like, the crowd kind of went, Ugh, <laughs> You don't say that, man. You, you just don't say that. But he was, like, giving him – he knew exactly what he was saying. And, and Medvedev was giving it to them. And these Australian fans, they're not going to forget – so they will be rooting extra hard for Nadal. And, I, and I, I would love to see Nadal win. Oh, would I love to see it, except Medvedev's really good. Right. He's a defending U.S. Open champion. No, no champion of a major has ever won his or her second major the next time it came around. The last major was the U.S. Open. Medvedev won it. That was the first time he ever won a major. Right. No player in the history of tennis has won their second major when it came up. Interesting. Next. Interesting. Second time they've, yeah, after winning the first. He's got a chance. But I hope it's uh, Nadal. And on the distaff side, the number one seed, Ash Barty of Australia, takes on the 27-seeded American, Danielle Collins, in Saturday's final. When Olympic athletes from all over the world land in Beijing, they'll be loaded up with burner phones and will likely have left their own devices behind. Athletes are receiving guidance from their home countries about whether their personal information will be safe online and will their devices be secure. In a word, no fucking way. Are you kidding me? The Chinese Communist Party's known penchant for cyber espionage and desire to control online content is greater than your ability to resist porn online. You got that? Are you kidding me? This is China. You can't shoot a cute picture and hit send. You're nuts. That's what they do there. That's what the Chinese do. You're going into a communist country. Are you kidding? Espionage is their middle name. Anything they can get from you, any information they can get, glean from you and your phone. So being an athlete in Beijing this year is going to be exceptionally difficult for these young people to not be able to share or to worry that you know what they're sharing is going to be you know, viewed by uh, you know, nefarious uh, uh, means. And it's just, yeah, that's the last thing they have to worry about. You know, I want to send a picture home to my mom, but I'm worried that they're going to throw me in jail. And then I'm going to, ha- or they're going to keep me here for five weeks and give me a false negative, a false positive for COVID. And, and, and you know, keep me locked up in a great B hotel like Djokovic in Australia. <laughs> and take my rights away from me. Yes, the Olympics are coming, ladies and gentlemen. It should be fun. That's it for episode 269 of Hebsey on Sports Auto. I know that. I heard the music in the background. Toronto Mike telling me it's time to go. Thanks to Toronto Mike, as always, for production and inspiration. Hit him up at Toronto Mike and listen to his excellent podcast, of which he's coming up on 1,000 career podcasts. We can't call him the Cal Ripken of podcasters yet, but he's getting there. He's getting there. Thanks as well to executive producer Scott Allen, and thanks to our sponsors, NateMakesSoap.com and GoodFootDelivery.com. All right? Check them out. If you're in Toronto, both are great local businesses that are proud of their customer service. Thanks to Bruce and Evan Dobigan for joining us on the show. Their book, Inexact Science, the six most compelling draft years in NHL history, is available wherever fine books are sold. And thanks for allowing us into your headspace. Back with another episode next week. I really enjoyed it. I believe Mike did as well. Two thumbs up. So long for now. <laughs>